0: you and ask that you reveal your glory to us this morning show us who you are through your word and especially right now as we go through this passage this help us to understand the cost of following you help us to really see that it's not going to be easy there are going to be difficulties And in those times, we ask you that you give us the strength. Give us the strength to be bold. And help us to know that you're always going to be there by our side. That as we follow you, you know where you're taking, that we know and understand where you're taking us. That we trust you. Help us to live like Jesus. Help us to know what that's like and to accept just like Jesus did, accept the fact that we may not be liked and we may not be, we may be persecuted. But the goal at the end, Lord, is well worth it. The prize at the end is well worth it this time fill this room with your Holy Spirit may your word be deeply implanted into our hearts pray these things in Jesus name Amen as I was uh, as I was preparing this message Um, One of the images, is is the picture up, Jacob, another picture? One of the other images that came to mind um, was a picture I remember seeing back a long time ago in 2001 when I walked into my recruiter's office, my Marine Corps recruiting office. There was all kinds of posters there. I mean, even as a kid, I had all kinds of posters because that's that's something that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a Marine Um, but when I saw this particular poster inside the recruiter's office I I, I remember looking at it for a while and and not really understanding what it meant I'm gonna show you in just a minute but as I was preparing this passage and it wasn't until afterwards here let me actually let me show you what it was it wasn't until afterwards It wasn't until afterwards that I realized what it meant. And, it, and, and then as I was preparing my messages, I was thinking back at my own Christian walk. Um, this had a lot more meaning to it. This poster had a lot more meaning to it. And this recruiting poster, again, it must have been back in the 70s, um, it says, we don't promise you a rose garden. And that's exactly what it was in my time as a Marines. It wasn't easy. It was challenging almost every single day. Getting up early in the morning, staying late, you know, being deployed, being, you know, going to war. It was, it was difficult. Um, And it was even difficult for, for my, for my family. But I understood the cost and I understood what it was, what it meant. And I knew that it was going to benefit me in the long run. So was it a, you know, again, I, I would say it wasn't a rose garden. In our message today, that's essentially how it is in our Christian walk. It's not going to be easy. It's not going to be a rose garden. Jesus never promised that, never said it was, it was going to be easy. In this morning passage, we're going to be looking at four important verses that Jesus wanted everyone That followed him to know and understand. He wanted them to understand this because the more anyone, the more he more than anyone knew that following him wasn't going to be easy. These verses convey both a warning and a challenge for anyone, for everyone who is or desires to be a follower. That warning, a warning that the cost for following him was going to be great and the challenge that they would have to face every, and it was gonna be a challenge that they would have to face every day of their lives. Although Jesus spoke these words over 2,000 years ago, they're directed at us as well. Being a Christian isn't always gonna be a walk in the park. In fact, with all the things the world is throwing at us on a daily basis, and even hourly basis, it's going to be more like going through an obstacle course. It's gonna be going, be like, you know, going, you know, you've seen those TV shows, Ninja Warrior. Um, it's gonna to be tough. It's not gonna be easy. In these verses, Jesus Christ wants you to understand that following him means living a life of selfless dedication that, again, may not be easy. So, what I intend to do this morning with this passage, and even though it's just four passages, I wanna read it first and then look at each statement. Jesus made more carefully. So if you're there already, I'm going to, I mean, if you're not there already, I'm in chap, uh, Mark chapter 8, and I'm going to be in verse 34. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Summoning the crowd along with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me And my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. In verse 34, Jesus begins by telling them, If anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. In this verse, Jesus lays out three important factors about what following him would entail. Factor number one, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, they must deny themselves. Jesus wanted his listeners to understand that if they wanted to follow him, they would have to give up a life of self-centeredness self-centeredness, and replace Jesus with the th- in the throne of their lives. Now, this would have been difficult to accept in a time where, where who you knew, and what you accomplished, moved you up the social ladder of success. He was telling them, it's not about you anymore. You need to let go of that life, that, that, that selfish, self-centered life that you, of, of self-ambition. You need to let go of that. There's a greater purpose. You need to now center your focus. If you really want to follow me, you have to center your focus on me. Factor number two, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, they must take up their cross. Now in Luke's gospel, it actually says this. Jesus says, take up his his cross daily. Now anybody who lived under the rule of the Roman Empire knew exactly what Jesus was talking about. This crucifixion this this way this the you know what he was talking about was the most common in public way criminals were executed when someone was condemned to die by way of crucifixion they would be issued a tremendously heavy burdensome crossbeam. now some scholars say that it was actual that it was an actual cross some scholars will say that it was just a long beam that they would have to carry all the way up to, all the way to their, to, to their destination where they would basically nail it or put it on top of another beam to make a cross out of it. Now the responsibility of carrying that cross beam belonged to no one else but that person who was about to die. So carrying that cross meant certain, meant, meant certain death. It, it was public, people were just, knew that you were gonna die, you knew you were gonna die if that was your cross, There was no questions about it. That cross beam was a heavy burden. It was tough. It wasn't easy, especially if you were whipped, if you were beaten, if you were um, tortured. This was a big, heavy wooden beam. And it wasn't easy to carry it under extreme conditions very far. It would have been really difficult. Jesus wanted to make the point that following him would be like carrying that crossbeam, would be like carrying that heavy cro- um, that he- would be a heavy burden. Factor number three, if they were willing to deny themselves and take up the cross, he says they must follow him. In other words, Jesus was saying this, if you want to follow me, don't expect an easy time. Don't expect to have all your hopes Want expectations meant you might as well take up a crossbeam and carry it with you every day because my disciples must be ready to endure disgrace, shame, and death. If you want to be a Christian, you have to be willing to pick up that crossbeam and follow me. Now, there are a few things that we need to understand about this verse. Firstly, it's, it's important that you understand that Jesus spoke not of self-denial, but of denying oneself. And there's a tremendous difference between the two. There's a big difference between self-denial and denying oneself. Self-denial is a self-determined act of not allowing yourself to have or do something you want. It's like the alcoholic saying, I must fight the temptation to drink. On the other hand, denying oneself is, a, is, is coming to a realization that you don't have the self-ability to achieve something and either rely or depend on the strength of someone greater. And here again, it's like the alcoholic saying, God, I'm powerless. Give me the strength to fight tempta- this temptation to drink. Now concerning the notion of denying oneself, Paul said this in 2 Corinthians 2.20, And I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Secondly, it's important to understand that as a Christian, you must pick up your own individual cross. Metaphorically, That cross represents the acknowledgement of Christ's authority over your own life and the hardships that may come as a result of it. But as difficult, as hard as those trials and hardships may get, keep in mind, it's important to keep in mind the words of Paul found in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. There he says, but he talking about Jesus said to me my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness therefore i will most gladly gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that christ's power may reside in me so i take pleasure in weakness weaknesses insults catastrophes persecutions and in pressures because of christ for when I am weak, then I am strong. And thirdly, it's important to understand that as heavy as that cross may get, trust in the fact that Jesus will lead you exactly where he wants you to be. Trust in Jesus to lead you. Listen to what he said in Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, come to me, all of you who are weary, And burdened, and I will give you rest. He's saying, I know how heavy it gets. I know how hard life gets. I know that all these trials, all these thoughts, all these things being thrown at you, I know that it gets difficult. But just follow me, and I'm gonna lead you. Trust me to lead you to that place where you're gonna find that rest. And that's what it comes down to. Is like, are you going to follow him? Are you going to trust, pick up that cross? Are you going to pick up that cross and follow him? Following him means trusting in the fact that he knows, again, exactly where he's taking you. Now let's look at the next, what Jesus said next in verse 35. There he says, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever wants to lose his life because of me and the gospel will save it. I think that we all would agree that um, life is a wonderful gift from God. I mean, if you're not in a state of, in a terrible state of mind, for the most part, you look around and you see the blessings around you and you see the things that you have and you say, you know what? Uh, Life's good. God has blessed me. Jesus' listeners, as they were hearing this, would have also agreed as as well. For them, as difficult as things were, or things may have been in that era, during that time, God was still an integral part of every aspect of their life. Even, Even if they weren't strictly following Jewish laws and traditions, God was still an integral part of their lives. God was still there. They knew, I mean, they... They understood who God was and they understood through the scriptures, through, you know, through the Old Testament, some concept about God. For the most part, they believed in passages like Psalm 139, 139 verses 15 and 16 that said, for it, it, for it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you because I have been remarkably and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful and I know this very well. So when Jesus told them these words in verse 35, he wanted to clearly, he wanted them to clearly understand the difference between living for oneself and living for him and his gospel. You see, when people live for themselves, their main focus is is themselves, Their main focus is to gather as much stuff as they possibly can to obtain whatever means necessary to get as much as they can. Even if it means, again, climbing that corporate ladder, even if it means, you know, stepping over people to achieve that pinnacle, that peak of success. these selfish people, the people that only live for themselves, will do, will also do whatever it takes to survive. Sure, a catastrophe can happen, but for the most part, they're taking care of their interests. They they want to take care of everything that they've gathered. So they'll want to live as long as they can to survive long enough to enjoy what they've gathered. Now, this kind of living may bring temporal satisfaction. It may be like, yeah, okay, I got my stuff, I got what I need, and, you know, I've got my riches. It may bring temporal satisfaction, but will eventually turn into eternal misery. However, when people choose to live for Jesus and his gospel, every selfish ambition is thrown out the window and replaced with a life that may appear meaningless to many in the world. To others, doing what you do, doing what we are doing right now, just studying the Bible, is, is meaningless. It's a waste of time. Why would you do that? Why would you waste, you know, that for them, it's like, why would you waste your time reading an old history book that isn't even relevant to this day? For a lot of people, again, it's like, why would anyone want to go to a third world country, to preach the gospel? Why would anyone give up a life of of success in order to live a life of, of, of poverty, in order to give to the poor? In the world standards, again, all these things may appear meaningless. Now, it may mean a life of temporal discomfort. As a christian yeah it may be uncomfortable it may be hard but the thing is we do this christians who really have a heart for jesus do this in order to receive the promise of eternal joy and fulfillment they're not thinking about the here and now they're thinking about what's ahead they know that you know what i may feel uncomfortable this may be hard I may be eating scraps, and I may just, you know, I may have to live in the, sleep on the floor or in a hut or, you know, I, I, it could be a number of things. But all those temporal discomforts, they know and they understand that it's nothing compared to the future glory that awaits them. So let me ask you, are you saving your life to lose it? Or are you losing your life for Jesus and His gospel to save it. If your aim in life is to climb the the ladder of success, make your millions of dollars, achieve fame, make a name for yourself, or is your aim in life to live for Jesus? The truth is, the more you live for yourself, the more miserable you'll, you'll tend to be. The more miserable you'll be and in the end, will only result in your own destruction. Now, I'm sure you've heard of the saying, more money, more problems. It's, it's a, it's a you know, saying out there, and you know, there's a rapper who, 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 who talked about it, who rapped about it. Well, this is how Paul puts it in First Timothy 6. This is how Paul puts that same um, phrase, that, same, that saying in First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. He says, but those who want to be rich fall into temptation, a trap, and many foolish and harmful desires, which plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a, is a root of all kinds of evil. And by craving it, some people have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. Power. Power. Fame and money will not save you. In fact, you will lose yourself in it. You will absolutely just lose who you are, who God created you to be in those things. Nothing but the blood of Jesus will save you. Nothing but the cross, what he did on the cross will save you. Isaiah 53 says, but he was pierced because of our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our, sin, punishment for our peace was, was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. The more you live for Jesus, the less you will be concerned about your own ambitions. Pleasing God will become your main ambition in life. Now, I'm not saying if, you, if your goal is to be a doctor, be a lawyer, if your goal is to be, you know, um, a professional skater, whatever, whatever it may be, if that's your goal, that's fine. Pursue it. If it's the Lord's will, it'll happen. But what are you doing it for? He may call you to say, you know what, I don't want, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, give you this career. I'm gonna make sure that you uh, successfully complete your education, that you accomplish this and that. But I don't want my my goal for you is not for you to hoard up all this money, get all these toys for yourself and, and live for yourself. He may call you to be a doctor or a lawyer or a skateboarder, you know, for Jesus. He may call you to say, you know what, you're going to take these gifts, these things I've given you, and you're going to take them to this certain place, or you're going to do this with, with, with it. For Jesus, for my namesake, in order to advance the gospel, in order to advance the kingdom of God. Would you be ready for that? Would you be okay with that? pleasing God ought to become your only ambition in life. Even if that means suffering through rejection, affliction, and even death, nothing will compare to the glory that awaits you in heaven. Now this leads me to the next two verses. It says in verse 36 and 37, "For what does, it ben- what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? What can a man give in exchange for his life? as as you read these two verses Jesus wants to know from you the same exact thing what is your soul worth what is it worth it? what is your soul worth to you are you willing to sell your soul in exchange for power money and fame how about love how about safety and security are you willing to give up your soul in order to attain these things There's a story in the Bible where a young man wanted to, know, wanted to know what he must do to have eternal life. When Jesus told this young man to give up everything he had and followed him, this is what happened next, and it's in Matthew 19. When the young man heard this command, he went away grieving because he had many possessions. You see, this, you see, this young man's possessions were more valuable than what Jesus had to offer. Jesus was telling him, you want to have eternal life. Come and follow me. But this man, this young man was like, oh man, I got all this stuff. And who knows, he may still, because he was young, he may still have been trying to achieve more. I wasn't even again at the peak of his, you know, of what he was wanted to accomplish. And he's like, man, he, was, he went away grieving because for him his stuff, his riches, his power, his fame were more important than what Jesus had to offer. And what did he have to offer? Eternal life. Jesus asked another man to follow him and he too couldn't do it either. In Luke chapter nine, this is where it's where the story is told. This young man's excuse for not taking Jesus' offer was, "First, let me go bury my father." For him, it was a love of his family. His family was more important than what Jesus had to offer. Jesus was like, "Come and follow me." He's like, oh, "I, I got to take care of my family." What are you willing to give in exchange for your soul? And does it really, I mean, is it really worth it? The thing is, Jesus will never force you to give up what you value. If those are the things you value, if those are the things that are important to you, fine. You know, he's not going to say, give it to me now. I'm forcing you to give it to me. He will never force you to do that. Those things must be given up on your own free will. When you're forced to do something, what do you think happens? When you're forced to give up something, what do you think eventually happens as a result of it? I think I really believe that bitterness and contempt usually follow. You get angry. Lord, I was gonna I was gonna be on TV, I was gonna be famous, I was gonna you know, make my millions, and I was gonna live in a mansion, and I was gonna have my yacht, and I was gonna have my my Bugatti, and I was gonna have you know whatever you know. And you forced me to give it to you. Now you know uh, I'm angry. I'm ticked off. No, she's just like you know what? You can have it. I don't want you. To, you know, I don't want you to be angry. I don't want you to be bitter. But when you freely see things, when you freely surrender what you value to Jesus Christ, joy and freedom usually follow. When you say, Lord, this belongs to you. My life belongs to you. My house belongs to you. My family belongs to you. Freedom and joy usually follow knowing again, understanding that He is God and He will take care of you. He knows what's best for you and He knows what to do with those things that you hand over to Him. This is what this verse comes down to. You may profit to the point of owning the entire world and everything in it, but if gaining that profit happens at the cost of your own soul, there is no profit at all. Rather, you have sacrificed that which is supremely valuable for that which is worthless by comparison. You see, Jesus gave up his life on the cross for your soul. The the cost he paid to give us eternal life was more than anything this world has to offer. So you see, for him, for Jesus, your soul each and every single one of your souls is valuable to him. There is no eternal benefit to gaining the world and absolutely nothing that can be exchanged for what he died for. Nothing at all. Jesus then concludes by telling his listeners, um, telling his listeners verse 38, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with the holy angels. In order to understand what he's saying here, it's important to keep in mind who he's talking to. Jesus here is specifically addressing those in the crowd who sought to follow him as well as his disciples. He tells them, for whoever's ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, Jesus wanted his listeners to realize the dangerous consequences of having an attitude of shame and embarrassment about Jesus when they are among people who have not committed themselves to Jesus as Savior. Now these are the people that he mentions that uh, mentions here. The adulterous and sinful generation. It's that attitude of saying, you know what, I know I'm a Christian, I know that I'm a believer, but I'm ashamed of embarrassed, I'm ashamed I'm ashamed and embarrassed among all my friends, among all my coworkers, among you know, everyone I know, because they're gonna laugh at me and they're gonna they're gonna say things about me. there's consequences behind that. What is that consequence? He says, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of Him when He comes in the glory of His Father with the holy angels. Do you understand what that means? Do you get it? That is a crazy picture, just a crazy thought. One day Jesus, we're we're told that in the Bible, that the heavens will be ripped open and Jesus will come back. And if you've been ashamed of him right now that you're living, he's going to come down and be ashamed of you. He's going to be feeling the same way about you that you felt about him, that shame and embarrassment. He's going to be like, Is it really worth it? You know, one of, the most, um, one of the most painful memories I have as a teenager was the day I got on a public bus and pretended not to know that my dad was on there. I was on my way home. I think I was coming home from school. And my dad, you know, uh, he, never, he never really dressed nice. You know, he almost looked homeless. You know, he kept himself, he was unkept, you know, never really took care of his beard. If you saw him out in the street, you probably would think he was a homeless man. And I was embarrassed by that as a teenager growing up. I was ashamed of that so one day I got on this bus and I saw him sitting there and he was reading the paper like this and I knew it was him but because at that time I was only thinking about myself and what people were going to think about you know me if I sat next to him I just ignored him I I, I pretended I didn't even know who he was and I sat at the other end of the bus. It's painful now when I think back because I realize now how much I love my dad and how proud I want him to be of me. How I want him to say, yeah, that's my son. The thought of him getting on the bus, getting on a bus, and doing the same to me would hurt me tremendously. It's never happened, but but the thought of it, of what I did that day, if he was to do that to me, it hurts me tremendously. Or, even if it was one of my kids, if they were to do that to me, wow, it just, you know, I don't know, I I, I don't know if he knew that I was there, I don't know if he, you know, he never said anything, I never said anything to this day, but it just, it would be tough, again, if he was to do that, if one of my kids would do that, it would would hurt me. Extremely, it would just be painful. I probably would I probably would cry for days. So now, I think about that. Every time, as I okay, so as I think about that, every time I'm in a situation in a situation where I feel tempted to hide my faith in Jesus Christ, I go back to that day, on that bus, and remember how horrible I felt. And I remember, and I think to myself. Would I want Jesus to come back? If Jesus came back today, would he be ashamed of me? If someone asked me, hey, what do you believe? And I say, well, you know what? It doesn't really matter. Let's talk about something else. You know, and he came back at that particular moment. Would he be ashamed of me for saying that? Yeah, he would. So now I... As much as, as much as I try and, and I make it a point to say, you know what, if you're asking me what I believe, let me tell you, but you may not like it. So I tell people what I believe, that I'm in love with Jesus. There's no shame in that. There's no shame in saying you're in love with Jesus. Look, I understand. I know that, you know, the psychology of it, that within every Christian there's a deep desire not to be embarrassed and ashamed. All of us have that. We don't, there's nobody, I don't know anybody that likes to be embarrassed and likes to be ashamed. So in order to avoid that from happening, there's a tendency to hide our devotion to Christ from the world. But know this, Despite all the dangers and hardships of the Christian life, despite all the hate that the world directs at Christ and his followers, we dare not keep our love for him secret. If you know him, you must openly profess your allegiance to him. If you truly desire to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you must embrace his suffering his rejection, his death, his cross. Because that's what it costs to stand with him. That's what it costs to stand with Jesus. The apostle Paul knew a great deal about hardships, trials, suffering as a Christian. A lot of what we went a lot of what he went through is recorded in the book of Acts. And he extensively wrote about the subject in his letters. But there is one place in particular where he specifically talks about being unashamed for Jesus. In your Bibles, I want you to turn to Second Timothy. Second Timothy is right after. It's going to be to your right. And it's gonna be after Thessalonians, Colossians. 654. Okay, thank you. It's gonna be page 654 in those Bibles we have there in front of you. Let me read, let me read to you what, what Paul wrote to Timothy. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 8 so do not be ashamed of the testimony about our lord or of me as his prisoner instead share in the suffering for the gospel relying on the power of god he has saved us and called us with a holy calling with a holy calling not according to our works but according to his own purpose and grace which was given to us in christ jesus before time began This has now made, this has now been made evident through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus who has abolished death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For this is the gospel I was appointed a herald, apostle, and teacher. He knew what it was like to be unashamed. And here, and he is our, he, he is our, our example for us. He exemplifies for us <coughs> not to be ashamed. Even when we're suffering, even when we're going, even when we're being, fun of, being made fun of, when we fear that we may lose our friends and we may lose, you know, everything. have to be unashamed, unashamed of the gospel. Now if I were to quickly summarize what Jesus was saying in these verses, in these four verses, I would put it in the following way. If you want to follow Jesus, it won't be easy. It may cost you everything. There'll be no worldly benefit. And you'll have to endure every aspect of Jesus' own suffering so you may be asking yourself, then what's the point? What's the point of being a Christian then? What's the benefit of all this suffering? Let me read to you a couple of verses. Romans 5, 3 to 5 says, We also rejoice in our afflictions because we know that affliction produces endurance. Endurance pro- produces proven character, and proven character produces hope. This hope will not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who he has given us, who has given to us. And it also says in 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 10, Therefore we do not give up. Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. So we do not focus on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is temper- for what is for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is one of the promises that awaits us when we endure in these sufferings, when we endure in these hardships, when we endure in these trials as Christians, when we're unashamed because of these things. This is one of the promises that we have when we get to heaven. It says in Revelation 21.4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, from their eyes, Death will no longer exist. Grief, crying, and pain will exist no longer. Because the previous things have passed away. All those things are gone. Being a Christian will not be easy in this world. But on that day, when you come face to face with Jesus Christ every trial, every hardship you endured will fade into obscurity. All that stuff won't matter. Do you understand? Do you understand what these four verses are saying? It is. It's going gonna, it's gonna to cost you. But are you willing to pay the price for Him, for Jesus who died on the cross for you. Let's pray. Lord, Heavenly Father, we do. We thank you for this. For this gospel you've given us. Forgiven us your son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins. Lord, you've given us Jesus as an example. That it's not going to be easy. Lord, if we don't understand that, help us to, Lord. If we've been in the closet, if we've been hiding our faith, if we've just been ashamed, forgive us. Lord, we want to be bold for you. We want to proclaim your name to everyone we come across. If not verbally proclaim it, but if not verbally proclaim it, Lord, we ask that just our lives may just exude the gospel. That we may just do the right thing at the right time and that people may see Christ just even with our actions and our love. We're we're not perfect and you know that. You know that we mess up and we fail. But you're a forgiving God. Your grace is sufficient. You've given us all things and we're your children. And we do. We're so thankful for that. Teach us, Lord. Teach us what it means to be your follower. Let us lead a new life. Lead us as we lead as we live this new life, Lord. If you've never accepted Jesus, just cry out in the quietness of your heart, Lord. Me, I'm a sinner. I surrender my life over to you. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe Jesus is Lord. Thank you for forgiving me. And as difficult as life may get, help me to follow you. Pour your Holy Spirit upon me so that I may follow you wherever you go. that you, I ask that you bless the rest of this time. Bless our time of fellowship. Bless our time of just being together right now, Lord. Bless all those churches right now that are hearing your word. Again, may we just come to know you more and more every single day. Lead us and guide us as we continue throughout the rest of the week.